This is the 10 Q&A, the Temple 10Q Newsletter's monthly podcast. The Temple 10Q is the voice of, by, and for Temple Law School's business law community. My name is Matt Devine. I'm interviewing uh, Professor Jonathan Lipson. Jonathan uh, holds the Harold E. Cohn Chair and is Professor of Law at Temple University Business School of Law. He teaches contracts, bankruptcy, corporations, commercial law, lawyering for entrepreneurship, international business transactions, and a variety of other business courses. He comes to us uh, from the University of Wisconsin, where he was formerly the Foley and Lardner Chair. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania and uh, the University of Baltimore are also uh, additional schools he's taught at. So he's, he's got a, a wide variety of experiences. Uh, you know, he was also in the private sector for a number of years before uh, going to uh, become a, a professor. You know, we are very thrilled to have him with us. Thanks, Matt. So I, I invited Professor Lipson here today to talk a little bit about um, this course uh, that he teaches. It's called Lawyering for Entrepreneurship. Uh, it's a course uh, generally targeted towards uh, upper level students, primarily third year students, although there are occasionally a couple of second year students who get in as well. Uh, typically, it's uh, taught in the spring semester as the sort of capstone of each student's law school career, but uh, this semester he'll actually be teaching it in the fall. So uh, I wanted to spend some time uh, talking about uh, the course uh, that you've, you've developed here. Maybe you know one of the things you first do in the class is have students give an elevator pitch for a, a concept for the business, and I was hoping to uh, possibly flip the switch on you a little bit and maybe have you give the elevator pitch for the class. Right, right. You also teach the course with me. You've been extraordinarily helpful in in in, in improving it. Um, and you know, turnabout is fair play. So um, I am happy to try to give an elevator pitch for the course. So um, when I graduated from law school in 1990, um, I went to a large firm on Wall Street and immediately realized that I knew exactly nothing about the practice of business transactional law. Moreover, I realized that no one else in my class, my starting class, knew anything either, which meant that law schools really weren't preparing people to do this kind of work. Um, so I spent the next seven or eight years thinking about the question, well, how would you do that? If you were in law school, how would you teach a course that prepared people to engage in business transactional practice? The product of that um, is the course that you and I now teach. Um, it has basically two goals. Number one, to teach students how to develop some of the basic skills that business transactional lawyers need planning deals, counseling clients, negotiating deal terms, drafting the documents. Um, and number two, um, and equally important in my view, to step back occasionally and ask the question, why? Why is it that we do the things that we do? Why does anybody pay us money to do these things? Um, the purpose isn't really just navel gazing. It's instead to get students to appreciate the fact that in the future, they're going to have to innovate, I think, significantly to stay ahead of the curve in what is likely to be a rapidly changing world. So, you know, lawyering for entrepreneurship is aimed, I guess, at producing, you know, lawyers who are better at doing today's deals and tomorrow's. You know, you, you mentioned this briefly in, in, in your pitch for the class, you know, sort of what was the initial iteration of this class? How did it, how did that come about uh, into being? Sure. Well, right. I mean, there are two things. If you're not trying to, you know, cram a very complex history into a 60-second elevator pitch, um, you can unpack it and talk about, you know, both how I first came up with the idea and and what did the first iteration look like, which I think are, are the two questions you're asking. As to the first, the the longer version of the the you know the genesis story is um, that when I was at this firm in New York and you know surrounded by first years who were clueless, I realized that um, you know. Essentially, it, was, it wasn't an accident that my law school didn't teach me anything about how to practice business transactional law, um, or you know, for that matter, any other law schools. And the reason it wasn't an accident was in part because the law professors 
really had no experience with this sort of work. They were interested in, you know, if they had practice at all, they had a litigation background. They were more interested in theory. Of course, I thought theory was really interesting. Um, I, you know, I, one of my favorite upper level courses was the jurisprudence of food, um, which was super fun. But, you know, guess what? On Wall Street, they're not practicing the jurisprudence of food. Um, and number two, right, the law firms themselves also actually didn't want us to come out of law school um, knowing much about transactional practice, both because they wanted to train us in their own ways and because I think the reality was it was part of their business model. That, you know, a fair amount of the time we spend doing and redoing things, you know, learning how to do things, um, was time that was billed to clients. And that struck me. When I learned that, right, it struck me that that was unsustainable. That was an incredibly crazy business model to me. Why should clients pay for my education? So, you know, I believed, you know, back in the early 90s that that was, that was, that, that gravy train was going to run off the track someday. And, and, you know, it did eventually. And, and so I was, you know, anticipating the fact that the idea that clients would push back and therefore the law firms would need to have people who came out of law school a little bit better prepared. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of fuller, fuller story that I, I, you know, I had the sense that, you know, the, the, you know, the, the business model of law school wasn't really addressing what was, you know, a plausible future need. Um, as for the um, initial iteration, uh, it, 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 it was fundamentally similar to what it is today, although there were you know, a bunch of things that were different. So the, the setup is intended to be as realistic as possible. It's a simulation for the most part that involves three clients and lawyers for those clients, or, you know, not always a lawyer for uh, uh, all clients, but three parties essentially. And the reason I wanted three parties is because, you know, one of the other things I realized in practice was that the interesting questions in life really never involve two people. Um, you know, the, the problems that people pay you to solve almost always involve more than one other person. Um, so it's never just buyer and seller or borrower and lender, or whatever. It almost always involves some third party. And, you know, it's not hard to see the intuition behind that. You know, having third parties creates incentives to, you know, to create, uh, you know, externalities and to, um, you know, defect or whatever it is. There are all sorts of, you know, potential problems created by the presence of a third party. So, you know, our deal has always had an entrepreneur. It's organized around a startup. That's why we call it Learning for Entrepreneurship. It's always had what we call Old Co., um, the, the, the employer that the entrepreneur is leaving to start their business, and then ultimately some money, some you know, an investor in, in the, the new business that the entrepreneur starts, which you know, we generically call Start Co. Um, so three parties, because I believe that triangles, in a sense, are more interesting shapes than, than lines. <laughs> uh, Phil Jackson would agree with you, I think. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So that's, that's what the initial iteration looked like. And then, you know, the course over the years evolved in a variety of ways. I mean, initially, I think I had them do uh, a loan at the end. I think rather we, you know, currently we go through the four stages of um, a startup, right? So we start with, you know, founding the business, entrepreneurs leave their old co, form start co. Stage one, stage two, you know, they get um, a little bit of money outside angel money. And stage three, they get you know, bigger dollars in from private, you know, from, from venture capitalists and stage four is they sell the business, um, as you know, and, you know, prior iterations have in some years I've, I've emphasized, um, I've had a loan at the end rather than a sale. And some iterations I've had a much more intensive IP intellectual property component, um, startups, you know, are often, uh, related to technology. So I've had, you know, much more licensing and, 
um, that sort of stuff in, in, in prior iterations. But the fundamental structure has always always been the same, even though there have you know been many variations throughout the years. Sure. So I just wanted to follow up on some of that. So in terms of um, you know, previous iterations, you'd mentioned that some of them were like more uh, intellectual property uh, focused and such. I mean, uh, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about um, how that uh, how that presented itself. You know, one of the things that we have to do in the class is not only create the simulation and create, you know, character roles and, and you know, feed people information so that they can, you know, perform their roles, but we also have to feed them some law. Um, we don't read cases in this class, um, but instead they do have to know the basics about, you know, five or six bodies of law, um, you know, some of which they may not have taken. The only prerequisite for the course is corporations, um, but, you know, they will need to know something about, LLCs and LPs, unincorporated business entities, in addition to corporations, they will need to know something about intellectual property. They'll need to know something about employment law. They'll need to know something about um, securities law, you know, et cetera. So we, you know, we don't have them do the kind of traditional Socratic, you know, I have you read a bunch of cases and ask you, you know, obnoxious questions about them, song and dance. We just you know, feed the students some, you know, straight up information from, uh, you know, several different sources. Um, about the, the 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 background law that's relevant to the deal as or deal you know the stage of the deal that they're at. Um, at least that's 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 the goal. When when I did more intensive intellectual property, um, I connected it to due diligence, and so I gave them uh, essentially problems where they had to go and find um, uh, either patents or trademarks. Um, Maybe copyrights. I can't remember. Basically, searching in the in the databases uh, created by either the Patent and Trademark Office or the Copyright Office um, in order to determine the genesis of some real IP, um, you know, that 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 existed in the world and that we were going to pretend they were using um, to license from Old Co. to uh, to to Start Co. Um, so that was, I think, the principal way in which we had more licensing. It was a miserable exercise because you know. Nobody knew how to use these databases. I, you know, only knew slightly more than the students, um, and and you know, it's just there's, you know, a lot of things can go wrong in that in that sort of a process. But it was also, you know, it was very realistic, and I thought it was good for the students to learn how to engage with you know complex uh, databases that you know tell them something important about the transactions that they're they're working on. Sure, and I think when I took the class a few years back, it, it, there was some iteration of that or some some exercise related to that so i yeah, it vaguely recalls recall a little bit about it but uh that's interesting so you, you mentioned this right when the, when you took it i i, I that, that morphed into an exercise involving the securities and exchange database the edgar database um where i had students uh run down the lineage of a technology but not um, as a matter of intellectual property ma- law, but instead as a matter of, of securities disclosure law. So, what did Old Co. you know tell the world about the transfer of some particular technology in its you know 8K or you know whatever you know 10K or whatever it was? Um, um, in, in that process, learn how to use the the Edgar database. Sure. Um, so you, know, you mentioned this briefly a little bit in terms of you know, the sort of outline of the course, but what is what is the current iteration of the class actually look like? So as I you know suggested earlier, it, it very deliberately covers what we think are the four stages typical in the you know life of a of a startup um, formation. Um, you know, occurs when the two we have two founders, um, a, you know, a CEO and a CFO. 
um, uh, and their former employer, Oldco. Um, and, you know, they will, the, the founders will, you know, start and form this new business um, and will, you know, need to license in some technology from Oldco, try to get some money from Oldco and um, negotiate with Oldco about the terms of their departure. Um, uh, we suggested earlier the course begins, the semester begins with the students um, engaging in a pitch contest. Everybody has to come up with a, you know, an idea for a startup and do a 60 second pitch for it. The students vote um, on that pitch and the winners of that pitch contest then become the CEOs and CFOs of these, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the start coast. Um, the course is, is uh, organized around um, a three-party, three-lawyer model, which means in, in practical fact that we have teams of six, right? Um, each team is three parties and, and, and three lawyers, although there are you know, variations within it. Um, and so we you know, populate these teams um, at the outset with the CEO and the CFO from, uh, by drawing from the winners of the pitch contest. And then there are various exercises in the future where we you know, add you know, students to fill in additional roles or you know, we just sort of make decisions about how to, how to populate the, the teams um, so that they can you know, get the, the deals rolling. You know, and I think part of what we're trying to feed the students in in in, in transaction one is realistic facts that um, somebody leaving a business, you know, to start a new one is likely to face, and there are a variety of conflicts that you know I think are pretty typical and that have to be negotiated out. Obviously, we try to provide enough um, wiggle room or overlap room, um, you know, in the kind of Venn diagram so that the students are able to come to a deal. Um, we have a mechanism for dealing with situations where they can't, um, but usually they do. Um, you know, stay. Stage two is getting angel money in, um, so we have them do a convertible no purchase agreement uh, and some ancillary documents uh, in stage, you know, step you know, transaction three rather. Um, they do the venture capital investment, which involves you know issuing preferred stock. Um, so they need to learn something about that. Um, and then the final transaction is a sale of the business, an asset sale. And that's the only transaction that's not negotiated. It sort of functions like a final uh, project. And they, you know, we give them a set of canned facts about, um, you know, the sale of the startup and they have to draft, um, you know, uh, from a form that we provide. And I should say we provide all the forms for the students, you know, in the, in the real world, of course, you know, you know, the, the opening, you know, salvo in every transactional battle is who gets to use their form. Um, and, and, and fighting over which form, um, you know, is of course, uh, you know, endlessly fascinating for lawyers in the real world, but our students couldn't begin to know how to do that. So there's no real benefit to trying to have them do it. So we just, we just, you know, give them the forms that we think, um, would be, you know, useful for them. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, one of the, one of your sort of, um, goals in this was, you know, or at least the sort of genesis of the idea was, um, that, you know, when you first got you yourself kind of practice, you know, that, you know, you sort of had a very limited um, understanding and knowledge of you know, what the actual practice looks like in a transactional context. Um, and that, you know, it wasn't just you, it was everybody around you in terms of all the other associates. And, you know, as you continued on in your own career, you know, every new class, it was you had to sort of teach them, you know, from the beginning of this and, and you know, sort of indoctrinate them in the way the firm does their own transactional pieces of it as well. Um, you know, and you, you also talked about, you know, you know, the goal of the class being, you know, not just the how of how to you know, draft certain things, but the uh, the why. And uh, so those are incredibly ambitious, um, you know, uh, uh, ideas. But I was curious as to, you know, sort of given that those are the goals of the class, what are you sort of hoping that students themselves take from the course? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, hopefully not just a migraine headache. You know, I think, I think that, um, I think most students, um, sign up for the course thinking this is going to be 
really cool, right? I'm going to get some real experience with something that, you know, looks pretty interesting, right? I mean, I think to the extent that students consider business law interesting, it's because they, you know, might have seen Silicon Valley or, you know, Shark Tank or the social network. And so they have, you know, or they just know that, you know, people who start businesses occasionally become, you know, quadrillionaires. So they take the course, I think, with high expectations. And my goal is to manage those expectations down. It's not my goal, but I think it's important for me to do it because the course is hard. Um, it's a hard course because, as you suggest, I'm trying to do two things that I think people almost never try to do, right? I'm trying to teach them some skills and some theory. And the reason for that is that I think if you step back and think about what law schools can do in terms of adding value themselves, right? it's more likely going to involve legal theory than legal skills, right? I was a lawyer for, you know, seven or eight years, but like that was a long time ago. Um, I do a lot of work with the American Bar Association, so I'm pretty familiar with, you know, what lawyers do today, but I'm not doing it. So in a way, it's a little, it's a little ridiculous for me to think that I'm really going to treat, you know, teach students, you know, outstanding transactional skills, right? The real lawyers of the world would do that if they had the time to do it, but of course they don't anymore. So, you know, we definitely, the skills are important, but what we do, our comparative advantage, um, I think, as academics is that we know something about legal theory. And so the idea is to connect theory to practice. Now, that's really ambitious because it's, it's not just, you know, that you're trying to do twice as much. It's that these are, you know, for a variety of, of philosophical and pedagogical reasons, those things are, you know, are hard to connect. Um, I think there are many folks who would say you just can't do it. And, and many people don't try. Um, and I think that's fundamentally failing our students, but people have good reasons for, for not wanting, not wanting to do that. So what I hope they take, what I hope the students walk away from the course with is not only a sense of how to do things a little more effectively than their competitors in the market, but also have a, a sense of the bigger picture. Cause I think if you understand the big picture, you're just more likely to understand how it's changing and therefore, you know, to adapt to those changes, maybe a little more effectively, a little more quickly than, than your competitors. So those are the you know basic things I'm hoping they're taking away. It sounds like, you know, from, from, you know, go, having gone through law schools not that long ago and everything else that, you know, when I took it, um, you know, it wasn't, uh, it was fairly unlike most courses I've, I've, I've taken at Temple. Um, from your perspective, you you probably have a much more holistic view of things, given that you you, you teach this course, you know, teach this course, and you've been at the school for for longer than I have. Um, how does it fit, uh, you know, in terms of how does it compare to other courses that are being taught at the law school? Sure, that's a good question, and and I suppose I could answer that, um, and in addition, talk about how it compares to other similar courses at other schools. So at Temple, you know, Temple, one of the you know many really great things about Temple Law School is that Temple understood much earlier than I think most other law schools that law schools have to teach people to practice law. Right? Theory is really important; it's really interesting. You know, high-powered analytics really important, really interesting, but we do need to teach people to be able to do real things in the real world, you know, every law school now says that they do this. And I think that they really try, but that wasn't true, you know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago when Temple, you know, developed the integrated uh, trial advocacy program, ITAP and the integrated transactional practice, ITP. And those are, you know, as anybody who's been through Temple knows, those are sort of very immersive, um, I think 10 credit courses that people take in their, in their second year. If they want to, they don't have to, obviously. So many people who take uh, Lawyer for Entrepreneurship will have taken ITP, um, in, you know, the Integrated Transactional Practice Course. And so you know, they naturally compare this course to that. And 
you know, it's, they're, they're in, in some respects similar because they're both, you know, trying to get students to develop transactional skills in a very immersive, experiential way. Um, but in addition, I think students say, you know, actually, learning for entrepreneurship is pretty tough, right? It's, it's a more intensive course. I think partly because, you know, you have, you know, a lot of work compressed into only three credits. Learn, uh, ITP is like 10 or something across two semesters. The denominator is just, you know, it's smaller. Um, and then, you know, as I said, I'm asking the students to think about legal theory, which, you know, they've probably had some exposure to, but they probably haven't had it um, in, in other skills-based courses. We do have some other, I think we have a growing stable of, of, of experiential offerings. Um, we have a business law clinic and, and I think we've, we've just hired, um, uh, we've been able to steal, uh, Fumi Ariwa from, uh, the University of California at Irvine. Um, and she is great on all this stuff. So I think she's probably going to be doing some work of this sort as well. Um, so we're, you know, we, we, we already do a fair amount of it. This course is a little different, I think, in that it's, uh, probably more ambitious, than others at Temple in that one respect. And I think that's true if you kind of look outside of Temple. I've spent a number of years trying to write a paper about this course. And, you know, one of the things I've tried to do in that process is, you know, get a sense for how other people do similar things. In the time I've been teaching, right, there's been this movement towards teaching, you know, transactional skills in the classroom, right? You know, it's if you have a good idea, somebody else probably has it too. And of course, that's exactly what happened here. So, you know, lo and behold, in the last five or 10 years, you know, there's developed, you know, institutes and conferences and so on and so forth on teaching transactional skills. I think there's a whole section of the American Association of Law Schools, the sort of legal academics trade association devoted to this. And, you know, as far as I can tell from reading the many, many papers that people have written about these courses, um, the courses that they teach elsewhere, you know, they are all, you know, I think fairly realistic simulation courses, but none of them, I think, are really trying to get at the more difficult conceptual and theoretical questions that I think are in the background of everything. And which, you know, to me, ultimately boil down to the question that Ron Gilson asked, you know, however many years ago in the early 80s, you know, how do business lawyers add value? So, you know, I think that everybody is better off if we're asking not only how to do things, how do we do this, but, but why? Why are we doing it? And why would anybody pay us to do it? Why does anybody think we're adding value? And I think that's an extremely interesting question. I've always thought it was an interesting question, but I think given the, you know, the near collapse of the market for legal services in, you know, 2010 and, you know, just radical shifts in the nature of practice generally, you know, this is a question that, you know, is highly salient and will remain highly salient um, for everyone. So I think if you're not thinking about innovation in the practice of law, what you're really, you know, not doing is thinking about your future. And I think that's a problem. Sure. So over the course of the time you've been teaching the course, I'd imagine I, I'm not the only one that has uh, followed up with you or talked to you about, you know, so the impact or that taking this course has had on, on either, you know, obtaining or, 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 you know, in their actual job themselves, uh, itself. Um, what have you heard from other students in terms of what impact, um, if any, that this course has had on their careers? You know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question, kind of what, what post-graduation feedback I've gotten. And, and, you know, I've not been systematic about following students. And I really, I, I, you know, of course, in hindsight, wished I had been. Um, but I've certainly heard from students over the years. And, you know, usually what you hear is, boy, this really helped me. I really, you know, I knew how to, you know, navigate my way around a corporate charter 
and other people didn't. Or I knew my way around, you know, stock purchase agreement and other people didn't. Um, I knew something about how to close a deal and other people didn't. And that's great. I love hearing that. Now, it's also true that there's going to be a selection bias in <laughs> in my sample because I'm not, you know, the only people who are, you know, volunteering to talk to me are people who are happy. Nobody's going to send me an email and say, by the way, you're class didn't do anything for me. You know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not, I mean, you know, maybe that would be good, but they don't do that. You know, and I, and I think, you know, the truth is that, that it, I, I would like to think that it is helpful, but you know, it's probably only marginally helpful um, in the ways that, you know, all law school classes are at best only marginally helpful. But if the margin of help here is to get students to, you know, think in a more intentional, reflective and consistent way about, you know, adapting their practice to, you know, add value, however they define value, you know, I think that's, uh, that would be awesome. That's great. There's, it's virtually impossible for me to imagine that anybody could convincingly persuade me that, 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 that they've done that um, because of this course, because I think it's impossible to demonstrate empirically, but you know, that also means it's a sort of nice fantasy for me to have, you know, I'm, I'm certainly open to contrary views, but, um, but I do think, I do think that's that's what it's about. But yeah, I mean, one of the you know projects for the future really would be to you know to try more systematically to kind of maintain contact with students, not only to get feedback on this kind of question, like what did you get out of this, but you know also just to maintain a pipeline of people to come in class and talk. I mean, you know, I've, I've always been fortunate to have you know connections with students from this class who are willing and able, like you, to come in and help with the course, you know, come talk to students, whatever. That's been, I think, more ad hoc and haphazard. You know, I'd love to be more systematic about it. Sure. So, so building on that a little bit, um, you know, in terms of what you sort of see for the future of the course or, or you know, what the, what the next generation would look like. I mean, have you have you thought a little bit about that in terms of what you'd like to see this, where, where this course would be, you know, three years from now, five years from now? Yeah. Yeah, so I've definitely thought about it a lot. Um, and basically, there are two things that I want to do. Um, you've been helpful with um, one of these in particular, and I've made some progress on both, but you know, I'm not I'm not where I'd like to be. Um, the first is to you know write a paper, kind of really developing an explanation of what we're trying to do and why it's important and why other people should take this seriously. Because I don't think it's common to do what we're trying to do, um, as far as I can tell. I've, I've not really encountered anybody doing it in, in quite this way. Um, I think it may exist. I just haven't found it. You know, I think that at least getting the story out there and getting feedback, getting pushback, people say, you know, I'd love to hear from people who say, no, actually trying to teach theory and practice together, that's a bad idea for the following reason. And, you know, I mean, that's what we academics do. Like, I'd like that. I'd like to hear that criticism. But number two, uh, and really more importantly, you know, I'd like to develop a set of materials that we can share with others so that they can replicate, you know, adapt and replicate this, 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 this course elsewhere um, if they're interested in doing so. And so, you know, you've been very helpful in, in, in pulling together the materials and making them, you know, into something that is freestanding. I mean, we haven't you know, gotten that far in it, but, you know, the idea is that I think there's, you know, uh, it would be good if, if we could get other people to, you know, sing from this, this, you know, this hymnal, but you have to write the hymnal for them to, you know, sing this gospel. So, so those are the two things I'd like to do. I don't know that I see the course itself as I teach it changing, too much. Every year I tinker with it, um, you know, as you know, and you've been extraordinarily helpful in, in, in adding some very realistic and valuable exercises for the students. But, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of work, you know, just to run the thing because you've got to, you know, evaluate their documents and give them feedback and so on. And to, you know, make changes in the course, you know, then adds even more. So I'm hoping to sort of cement the, the structure and, and, you know, kind of basic elements of the course, you know, pretty firmly 
and and then we move on to these other other two projects. Although I should add that you know it, it, it seems to me you could in a more ambitious world imagine lots of different kinds of transactional modules that could fit into this set of simulations. So you really could have you know a lending transaction. You really could have much more robust licensing. You really could have you know virtually anything, right? I mean, you could have outsourcing agreements. You could have, you know, there's, you know, and there's no limit to the number of kinds of, of transactional modules you could bolt into this um, if you wanted to do so. I, you know, would love to do so, but I'd also love to have, you know, 48 hours in the day that I don't have. So, um, and, and, you know, I can't drink that much coffee. So, so I can't do it or I can't do it at this point, but, but that would be, I suppose, you know, a step three someday, you know, way in the distant future. So, well, I mean, I think that's the majority of my questions. Uh, any, any parting thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to anyone out there to hear? Any parting words of wisdom? I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, what we're trying to do in this course, as, as you know, Matt, is, is to help people really become more effective practitioners generally with a view towards business transactional practice. Um, but because, you know, we, we try to encourage them to see that, you know, business transaction practice is actually connected to the things that they've learned elsewhere in law school, having to do with advocacy and analysis and argumentation and so on. Um, you know, my hope is that it's, it's, it's a course that is providing skills that are transferable really to any form of practice. And so, you know, I hope that, that students are able to, to, to see it in that, in that broader light, but it's been a, you know, it's been, a, it's been a, you know, an unbelievable amount of fun to teach. I really, I, you know, I shouldn't have as much fun. I shouldn't be permitted to have as much fun as I have. I shouldn't be paid for it, certainly. But I, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to do this uh, for a living and, and, and I'm fortunate to have had great students to do it with. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. This is uh, Jonathan Lipson talking about the uh, lawyering for entrepreneurship class. Uh, for those of you who are interested, like I said, uh, we are currently uh, teaching it for the fall semester. So, uh, but typically it's offered in the spring, although not this coming spring. Um, so, uh, you know, it's usually once a year, but uh, if you're interested in taking a class, you can certainly stop by and, and talk with uh, Professor Lipson or I and uh, we hope to uh, hopefully see some of you in the class uh, in the future or, um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about the course generally, uh, we're always happy to talk about it. So, Professor Lipson, thanks again for your time and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great, man. Thank you. This has been the 10 Q&A podcast, a production of the Temple University James E. Beasley School of Law. Interviewer, Matt Devine. Interviewee, Jonathan Lipson. Audio editor, John Bean. 10 Q&A podcast editors, Matt Devine and Salilam Mara.